test one too. All right. How's it going, everybody? Good afternoon. Welcome to Metro Praise International. How's everybody doing this afternoon? Come on, oh, come on, come on. Make some noise. Yes, yes, awesome. All right, good to see you guys this afternoon. I know by the looks of things outside that, it, you know, with all the snow, most of, most people are at home. But to you, guys, to you guys who made it out, man, thank you guys so much for taking time out of your afternoon to worship with us. This is your here. If you're here for the first time, we welcome you as well. We love you guys. Why don't we all stand before we begin? All right. I'm Pastor Tony. I'm one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise International. Before we begin each service, we have someone come up and testify what the Lord has done in their life. So I would like to call up my dear brother, Brian Wampler. Yes, give a warm welcome as he comes up. Hi, everybody. So as you probably know, I've been married a little over, going on seven months now. Oh, yeah, praise the Lord. Praise God. Wow. Yeah, but to be honest with you guys, uh, it wasn't all easy at first, you know. Um, it was a little tough in the beginning, you know, just being married and... Uh, you know, there was some negativity. We were bicker back and forth, you know, and uh, it was a struggle for us, you know, during the first couple months of our marriage. Uh, but, you know, thankfully, by the grace of God, uh, he led us, you know, out of, out of that season. And uh, one thing I had to learn as a married man is uh, how to sow into my wife, you know, and that's a lesson I had to learn <laughs> the hard way and pretty quickly. Um, and uh, I just had to learn how to build her up and encourage her and, and to sow into her, you know. And... Um, you know, with that being said, you know, I was able to reap a, a blessed home, you know, and a, and a blessed marriage, you know, and that uh, reminds me of the verse that I'm going to read. It's in Second uh, Corinthians 9. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously, you know, so that, that really encouraged me and helped me in, in my marriage and my walk with the Lord. Amen. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we love you, Lord. And I pray, God, that each individual in this room, God, whether married or single or whatever, God, that they would uh, just sow, so generously into, into the lives of others, God, that they would encourage, love, and, and build up one another, God, as uh, your word says to do so, God. Um, we love you, Lord, and bless this service, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Who breaks? Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the holy with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless? In awe and wonder, the King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is a failing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You I sing for 
that you've done for me. We'll see who brings our chaos. Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory, the King of glory, who rules the nations with truth and justice, shines like the sun in all of his brilliance. The King of glory, the King of all kings. Yeah, this is amazing
praise will ever be on my ever be
sing right now. I can sing if you love Jesus for what you've done and who you are, how you meet us here. I can sing, I can sing of your love forever. Yes, I can sing of your love forever. One more time, say, I can sing. hearts. Just give him praise. Give him thanks. He's here with us right now. The Holy Spirit of God. Oh God, let us never take this for granted, this time. God, we thank you for everyone here. Before we sing this next song, I want to give out this charge for anyone in this place. If you're praying for something, you came in here and there's a something that you're praying for, something you're believing for, you just want to get closer for, to God. This next song is called, Oh, Come to the Altar. And it's an invitation for you to come up here and to experience God, to pray, to go deeper. Amen. So wherever you're at, I want to challenge you by faith to leave your seat, to come up here as we sing this song, as you feel led of the Lord. All right, let's not make this going through the motions, but let's be participants in worship. Amen. So I'm just going to pray right now and just ask that the Lord press upon your hearts those things and whatever you've been praying for. Amen. Because we serve a supernatural God. We serve a powerful God. He's alive and well. Amen. So let's just pray right now. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' mighty name. God, we don't want to go through the motions when we're here in church, God. We want to experience, we want an encounter. And I pray for those, God, who are going to leave their seats, God, that you would bless them. God, as they take that step of faith to come up here, to pray, to seek your face, to press in, God, that you would bless them. In Jesus' name we pray. Leave behind your regrets 
regrets and mistakes Come today, there's no reason to wait But Jesus is calling Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy From the ashes a new life is born But Jesus is calling Oh, come to altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ oh come to the altar the father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord. oh what a Savior, isn't he wonderful?
wonderful today, oh God. Lord, we thank you that we can bask in your glory, that we can bask right now in your presence. For those of you who responded to this worship and you're here at the altar, I want you to know that the love of the Father is being lavished all over you. That no matter what you're facing right now, He is the answer. He is the way. So if you guys at this moment can all bow your knees, if you guys have the ability even in the back, I want us to all come to our knees as we worship the Lord together in His presence at this moment. We are responding. We're just not singing or saying words. We're reacting. We're pressing in. Jesus, we bow before you today. King of kings and Lord of lords, in reverence, in awe of you, Jesus, in awe of your majesty, in awe of your kingship, in awe of your goodness. And we say, oh, what a savior. Oh, you're so wonderful. Come on, for just a few moments in your own words, love on Jesus today. Come on, in your own words, tell him who he is. Tell him how much he means to you. Tell him how much you love him. Oh, Jesus, I love you today. You are so good, God. You are so faithful. Nothing compares to you. Nothing in this world compares to you, God. Oh, I need you more than I needed you yesterday. Come on, some of you guys have to cry out. Some of you guys in this room have to get desperate to encounter a living God. He is here to meet with you. He is here for you and experience his presence. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let's sing, Oh, what a Savior. your name, King Jesus. We bless your name in this place. 
We love you, Lord. We thank you for lavishing your love upon us. We thank you for meeting us right here. That you hear us when we cry out. Come on, start speaking in your heavenly language. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking tongues. Let's press in. Let's fill the atmosphere with the language of heaven today. Come on. We are unashamed. We are unashamed of you, Jesus. We are unashamed of your power and your great glory. If anybody feels led to give a word, we're going to open up the time right now for the gifts to flow in this service. Speak, Lord. We are listening today. I feel like somebody needs to hear a word from heaven today. inhabit the praises of my people. My glory rests on you. I am in your midst. Reach out and touch me. I am not far away. I do not turn a deaf ear to your prayers. You are not unseen. I see you. I watch over you and I wait for you in longing I wait for you to come. I wait for you to draw near. I am here. I am the one waiting. I am the one longing for you to come, for you to answer, for you to respond. Trust me. Trust me. I inhabit the praises of my people. Glory has come to earth. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, if that is you, if you've been standing on the side waiting for, for thunder and lightning to come, if you've been waiting for something to happen, Jesus is saying, you take that first step. You come. You meet with him. He is waiting. He is there. He is listening. He is watching. Hallelujah, Jesus. Is there anything else? I want to give time for just one more word.
Lord, we love you, Jesus, and we thank you so much for this time. We give you glory and honor and praise. Let's close out with hands lifted high. Let's sing What a Savior one more time. He is so wonderful. Jesus, we love you. We worship you today. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Bow down before him. For he is Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you today. We give you all the glory, honor, and the praise that is due your name. You are worthy, O oh God. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our lives. Have your way in the rest of this service, O oh God. Move in our hearts. Do a new thing today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Woo. Turn around, give your neighbor a high five as you make your way back to your seats. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into the presence of the Lord. We welcome everybody to Metro Praise International. I'm going to preach the gospel to you at this time. My name is Nancy Wyrosik. I'm one of the apostolic elders here. And if you're in this room today and you do not have a relationship with God, you keep making excuses, you know you're not right with him, you're not following his commands, this message is for you today. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The context of this verse is about Jesus' second coming. Jesus is coming back, my friends. And this time it's not going to be as a baby in a manger. This time it's going to be as a ruling and reigning king ready to judge the nations. And that's the promise you guys all need to be ready for. There's two things that are certain in this earth, that we will not be here forever. Your life and your days are limited on this earth. One day you will die and you will face eternity. And the other thing that will be certain is Jesus is coming back for his bride. And this verse is explaining that God is not slow in keeping that promise to us that he's coming back for his church. He's not moving slowly. He's being patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all men to come and repent because he created us to be with us. He didn't create us to send us to hell. He created us in that garden, that perfect garden of Eden with Adam and Eve so that he could commune with us, but we messed it up. And so I want to give you an opportunity today if you are not living right for Jesus and you are living in sin, repent today. God does not want you to perish. But that is a certainty for people's destinies that if they reject Christ, if they reject the blood of Jesus, the only thing that could forgive us of our sins and bring us back into a reconciliation with God the Father, if we reject that, we will not be with him in eternity. You will get exactly what you wanted on earth, a life apart from him. And hell is eternity apart from the presence of God. And that is a terrifying thing. 
So with all eyes closed all across this room, as you think about Jesus and his love for humanity, his love for mankind, that he is not being slow about his promise to come back for us, but he's being patient with you. Do not delay the process when the Spirit of God is moving on your life. The Bible says it is his loving kindness that is drawing you to repent. And I pray that today would be that day for you. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity for us to hear the gospel message again. The simplicity of the message of salvation that you came to take our place and died on the cross and rose again. I pray that people in this room, if they're not right with you, that they would repent today and they would hunger and thirst after the living God. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You guys can stand up to your feet. We're going to confess our confession of faith together. This is our Christian worldview. This is what we want society around us to know, to come to know as truth. This is a lens in which we see our world. Let's recite it on the count of three. One, two, three. Believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone and Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Why don't you guys spend some time greeting each other, giving hugs and handshakes.
All right. Who's excited they came to church today? So good to see all of you guys here for our second service. Welcome to Metro Praise International. Thank you for coming. Our services here are every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service. We have Kingskins in the back for our children. And then we have Elevate Fridays at 7 p.m. every week for 11 to 18 years old. It's an awesome time for our teenagers to get together and worship God and change their high schools. How many of you guys are excited for all the Christmas productions we have coming up? Next Sunday is our Christmas concert for both services, 10 and 1, December 18th. We're so excited about what's going to be happening. Invite your friends and family. Our children will be uh, singing their songs. Different talents will be presented and just bringing glory to God. So it's going to be a very fun time. Also, next Wednesday for the 21st, it's our King's Kids Christmas Party starting at 6.30 p.m., just like our normal schedule that we have going on every week. We will be giving out free gifts for the, you know, 150, the first 150 children. Uh, we're going to be raffling out prizes like bikes and different things. So come on by, invite your friends and family, neighbors, maybe some uh, children that your parents go to school with, that your children go to school with. It's going to be an awesome time. And then our Christmas service. Two weeks from today is going to be a unity Christmas service, so we will be only having one service that day, 10 o'clock. So make sure on Christmas Day you don't come at 1 because we're going to be combining with the first service and just celebrating the Lord and what he's done for us together as a church family. Here at MPI, we have a vision, a strategy, and our goal. Our vision is loving God and loving people. And our strategy is to connect, mentor, and send. We want to connect you to the church through our life groups. We want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism. And by doing all that, we have a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Does that get you guys excited when you hear it every week? Come on. Look to your neighbor and say, get connected. If you haven't gotten connected yet, you could turn your hand out around. You'll see the schedule of life groups that we have. I really want to encourage you to find a place to belong because you shouldn't just feel like you're out there all by yourself. There's so much happening throughout the week. So for this week, kicking it off, we have our King's Kids program, infant to 11 years old, 630 at the church for our children. Thursday is our gang outreach, 18 years and up, meeting here at 7. Two adult Bible studies for you to attend. On Fridays, you could pick either the Govea's house or the Vivid's house, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. Be there. Get refreshed in the word of God and the fellowship of uh, other people that are wanting to serve the Lord with you. And Saturday is the Elevate Ambassadors, 11 to 18 years old, 1 p.m. here at the church. So an awesome things to be a part of. Then we want to mentor you here. We have leaders ready to take you through the 101 book called Welcome to Your New Life, where we could disciple you and really encourage you in your walk with Jesus. And when you graduate the 101, we want you to get into the 201 class where you can learn how to make disciples, disciples that make disciples, because we believe that's what Jesus came to do. He came to save us, but not just to attend church and make that seat really, really warm, right? He wants to save us. He made it, wants us to be disciples for us to go out and get other disciples, make other disciples. So that's what we'll train you to do. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism. Every Saturday from 5 to 8, they hit the streets preaching the gospel, street witnessing, sharing the love of God and the message that Jesus saves and that he is the only way to complete strangers. And so that is our that is our job. That is what God has called us to do. And so all, all of us have that privilege and responsibility to tell the world that Jesus is the way. So in a recap, vision, strategy, and goal. Our vision is loving God and loving people. Strategy is to connect, mentor, and send. And then a goal to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. Say, Jesus, do it. 
How many of you guys know actually he's already done it? You do it. Look to your neighbor and say, you do it. Come on. All right. Are you guys excited to give your tithes and offerings today? Come on. I hope you are because it is an act of worship. Trusting the Lord in your finances is a big way of saying, Jesus, my life belongs to you. So we believe here that a tithe is 10% of your total income given regularly to the church. And we have offering designated towards missions and towards building. And that amount is between you and the Lord, whatever he puts on your heart to give. So today we're going to be in the less in section four which is all about hindrances. Lesson eight is overcoming pride. If you want to follow along on your phones, you could go to the Facebook page. The definition of a hindrance is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's commands. How many of you guys want those hindrances to be gone from your life? You don't want anything to get in the way of fully obeying and following Jesus. So let's read Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So let's read the three main points. Number one, trust in the Lord. You cannot lean in two directions at the same time. Therefore, lean fully on God's commands and not on your ways. Trust him by being obedient to all he commanded, especially in tithes and offerings. God has your back. Lean into him and watch him come through in your life. Number two, don't be wise in your own eyes. The Bible teaches that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Don't allow greed and selfish ambition to have you neglect the wisdom of God's teachings about giving and receiving. If farmers do not plant seeds, they will not re reap a harvest when it's time to get their crops. And it's the same thing with us. If we do not sow seed with our finances, we cannot reap the blessings of God in no matter what fashion they may come to us. So the principle of sowing and reaping is very true in the kingdom of God. And we must trust the Lord in those times to say, God, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to follow your commands and nothing's going to get in my way. Number three, honor the Lord with your wealth. When you use your finances to support God's kingdom business, he will honor your earthly business. Isn't that exciting? In summary, humbly honor God with your wealth in giving. And three ways you could apply this. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income and offerings, anything you give after your tithes. Number two, repent if you have allowed pride to make you disobedient in giving. And three, ask God to teach you how to live a humble, generous life. And when we ask, he will deliver. Amen. If we truly want God's best for us and trust him, he will give us that humble, generous heart. Let's recite this together on the count of three. One, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. Let's stand up together as we prepare to give the Lord our best this afternoon. Again, a tithe is 10% of your total income. Offering uh, is an amount between you and the Lord we give towards missions and building. Just be very clear in the envelope about the exact amounts you want to go towards each category. Here are four ways that you could give at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering time. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. Pastor Jerry will be ready with that today.
And number four, you could go online with Chase QuickPay, PayPal, or BillPay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. Let's recite this verse together. Philippians 4, 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness to us, God. And we repent of any pride that hinders us from being obedient to you. We say we trust you today. We will give our tithe. We will give our offering. I pray that we would continue to have generous hearts that trust in you and believe, God, that when we sow, we will reap. And I pray that we will sow generously so that we can reap generously. We want to be blessed, to be a blessing. I pray that you multiply everything that is given today. Meet the needs of our families. Meet the needs of this church, God, so that we could continue to uh, reach out to the community, uh, reach out to Chicago, and that the nations will hear about your gospel. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Please come forward as you give today. And we thank you so much for your generosity. All right, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you are a real Chicagoan. Come on, you came out in the snow. You aren't scared. Look at your other neighbor and say, you're the bestie best. Come on, thank you guys for coming out today. You weren't going to let no snow hold you back, right? And so you guys are my favorites now. So just keep it between us. You guys are my favorites. Nobody else that was not here is not going to be my favorite. You guys are my favorite. No, I'm just kidding. Half kid. But no, seriously, thank you for coming out. Last night, I, uh, I think I shoveled my driveway three times. Um, I'm looking forward to what I have at home when I get home. Uh, did you guys shovel today? Anybody shovel yet? Some of you guys shoveled a little bit. How many don't shovel, don't care? How many live in an apartment building where you don't have to shovel? Someone goes out there and magically does it for you. You just show up and it's done, right? And if it's not done, what do you do? You complain. You tell them, what's going on with you guys over there? Why isn't this shoveled? You guys should shovel. Yeah, Nancy and I, just to tell you a little personal story about us, Nancy and I started at Addison and Pulaski, nice little cozy two-bedroom apartment right by St. Viator's there. Great place. Loved it. Would have stayed there if our family would have stayed that size. Uh, then we decided to start having kids, so we moved to Lawndale and Potomac, and I was like at that, tip at that time like a typical gringo. I'm like, I'm going to move into the hood, and it's going to be all good, and I'm going to get along with everybody. And then they started selling drugs in front of my house, and uh, 
my my house literally had windows on the sidewalk. Has anybody seen those apartments where literally you like you're walking on the sidewalk and you can like tap on the window? And and that was our 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 house situation. And the drug dealers, for whatever reason, loved to sell the drugs like right in front of our kitchen window. So you could hear like um, boom kui kui out there. And uh, I don't know whoever like Mike. We'll just call him Mike because I don't want to be racialist. Okay. So it was. Ra- it, <laughs> I'm sorry. It was anyways. It was Mike and. Bob and Gary selling drugs, okay? But no, in all honesty, it was a Latin American gang-infested area. I lived in an all-African-American hood, and you know what? In New Orleans, it was all good. I lived in the hood, and they either thought it was like one of two things. It was either I was coming there to buy drugs, so I was a customer, I was all good, or I was the popo. They going to mess with me. So it's like, hey, that white boy, he's either going to buy drugs from us, so leave him alone, or he's the popo. But then they found out like I was the pastor. And even back then, like it was always a little bit hard to convince people I was the pastor. They were like, you're the pastor? I'm like, yes, I'm the pastor. Like the main pastor? I'm the main pastor. Oh, baby, you a pastor? Yeah, I'm a pastor. Well, you a good-looking pastor. That's what the ladies would say to me sometimes. Then I go, oh, pastor, I'm with you and my pastor. And then the guys would be like, come on, pastor, you really the pastor? And I'll be like, yes, I am the pastor. Like, you a cool pastor then, huh, man? And I'm like, yes, I'm a pastor. Anyways, they started selling drugs right there. So then we're like, we are going to get safe. We're going to get safe. No more Lawndale and Potomac. We moved to Norwich or Harwood Heights right next to Norwich. Like literally, uh, um, Montrose and Newland was our street. So my side was uh, Harwood Heights, and across the street was Norwich. And we did awesome there. And uh, we had like a couple kids at the uh, Potomac place, and then we had another one or two there, or one there. And we had like a like a family of four. Nancy, we have a family of four there, or a family of three. We had a family of three, and it was just so small for what I was paying. So then one day when I was looking around to see where I was going to move next, because we were renting, it's like we have... Uh, you know, like champagne taste, like a champagne taste, but a beer budget, a beer budget. That's all I can afford is the beer, not the champagne. But anyways, so we have like this fine wine taste of life, but I couldn't afford it. So I'm like, like expanding my searches and I'm like, okay, I can go to the hood and afford it, but then it's cray cray or, or I got to stay out here. And then like, literally it's like $3,000 for like two bedrooms. And then, you know, like you have that little search option when you're doing that thing and like the real didn't even help me because I just did it myself. I literally found almost every house I've ever lived in. And then I put in like 15 mile range and it was like, oh, like I'm telling you, man, like I was always die hard city now because I was born and raised in the suburbs of Fort Wayne, Indiana. And we were lame. We were lame suburban kids. We hated Fort Wayne. We didn't want to be in Fort Wayne. We were like these typical kids that made fun of our town. We spray painted our own signs and put vulgarity on them. I'm being for realsies. We were really bad kids in our neighborhood because like in every direction you went it was cornfields okay like cornfields like like literally the Amish lived right by me and when I go to the same grocery store I would go to does anybody know what the Amish are who they are and they have the best like like jams and fresh vegetables and stuff like that did anybody come to my house and go to there with me to the Amish any of you guys I guess you're really not my favorites but I've had some people to my parents house before and they went to the Amish markets and everything so then it was like Elgin and it was like oh my gosh look at this you get a front yard and a backyard you get a you get a a garage attached to your house you know and it's like cuz you know normally like here like a garage is not attached to your house and you guys know what that's like on a rainy day especially like when you have kids or groceries you're like okay i'm going for it i'm going for it whoa and you run to the porch you know what i'm talking about so often i'll do that with my kids anyways so you guys are just bored right now but follow with me 
So we finally ended up in Elgin. Don't feel bad for me. Don't feel bad. Don't hate, celebrate, whatever. But I have to drive in all of this. That's my point. And you know what? I shovel. I, I love the snow. And I'm going to come. I'm going to come. So you guys come. Amen? As long as that CTA bus is running, get on it. If you can't even get in your car, because you know you got to shovel out your car, just get in the CTA. Just be like, man, we'll let y'all take good care of this later. But let me just tell you this now, since I'm on this rabbit trail of snow and driving in the snow, let's not be ghetto with our, car, our parking spots in the city, okay? Some of y'all putting out the chairs, you know what I'm talking about, putting out old furniture to guard it. Y'all don't do that, right? Let people have it. Share. Share if you care. And be a part of if you If you're on a block that really wants to, like, you know, like make a difference, shovel the, shovel the whole thing. You know, shovel it. And let me just help some of the young people here. Shovel it before it turns to ice. Because when it turns to ice, that's when it's hard to shovel. So right now is where you want to shovel. And some of you strong guys, you guys want to be strong like daddy. Listen. Listen. I know I'm embarrassing this guy. But tap on him. Tap on him. This is for you. Heart to heart right now. You know all them blizzards? Manpower. I did all of that, all of that shoveled. Dude, it got to the point in that two years ago, it got to the point in my yard that the snow was this high. I'm not even lying. Not the whole thing, but at the end where I had to keep piling it up, it literally two years ago got as tall as me. I actually let my kids go sledding down it. I made a little hill. They went sledding down it. So here's the thing, young men. You know what you should do? You should get a couple shovels, put on like a nice little Santa hat, make yourselves look nice and friendly. Knock on doors and say, can I shovel? Let's give it up for making ideas happen, making dreams come true. So if I am coming all the way from the Burbs now with my five kids, my five kids get in the van, y'all better be here. Amen? Now, if you couldn't make it today and you're on the webcast, we love you, just not as much as we love everybody here. Okay? Oh, but you know what? My wife and I, we had a serious accident, serious accident last year, many of you know, and it was on a bad snowy day, so be carefree, carefree. Look at your neighbor and say, be carefree. Got to be carefree out there. Okay, we're in a series of John learning about the signs that God has given us through the book of John. Today, we're on the works of God. Everybody say, the works of God. See, this is part of our learning process, the calling and responsing, if you ever want to know why we do that. So let's turn to John chapter 9, verse 1. Anybody do their homework and read their Bible this past week? Come on. One, two, three. Let's give it up. Four. Let's give it up for those who read their Bible. Oh, and look, Will, she's got the hat for you right back there. She's got the hat. Yeah, so just today, ask her if you can borrow that hat and go shovel. My first job, you know what my first paid job was? Cutting grass. Cutting grass, man. You can make it happen, guys. You can make it rain that way. All right, the seven signs of John. Let's go through the ones that we've already gone through, changing water into wine. Jesus showed us that he's the life of the party, and he can take our ordinary and make it extraordinary. Uh, we learned in John about the healing of the royal official's son, that if we're not too proud to beg, not too proud to ask, God will do miracles on our behalf. Healing of the paralytic, we learned that Jesus wants to make us well, not only spiritually but physically. He is Jehovah Rapha, our healer. We learn in the feeding of the 5,000 that Jesus loves to provide for our needs, not only physical but spiritually. He is the bread of life, the manna sent down from heaven. 
We learned uh, last week that Jesus can walk on water and also make Peter walk on water because he controls nature. He is the creator of all nature. And we'll talk about that today, that supernatural things, supernatural things are not illogical. They are just greater than nature. Greater than does not mean contradicting, does not mean they are opposing each other. Supernatural spiritual laws do not contradict natural laws. They just superimpose them. They are the origin of natural laws, and that will make sense a little bit later. Today we're studying the blind man, so your big homework assignment was to read John chapter 7, 8, and 9, and thank you for those who did. Now, here's the deal. Next week we're going to have our Christmas party. It's going to be awesome. Make sure you come. I've heard a little bit of the things that these guys are working on. There's going to be like this intense thing that he's going to be doing. Daryl here, he's the man. But it's going to be awesome. There's going to be a kids production. How many like the little kids production they sing? Even if you don't have kids, I hope you like it. Kids heal the soul, their smiles, their giggles, their awkwardness. It is cool. Come and watch that. And then the week after, December 25th, family service. So this will not be happening December 25th. We're letting you enjoy your time with your family by asking you to be there at 10, also giving our workers a day off. And uh, so everybody just come to the 10 a.m service and yes you can come in your jammy jams okay if you want to come in your pajamas does anybody call them jammy jams besides me I'm like this like making up words I love making up words or using words that sound cool it's not just pajamas what are they called jammy jams okay anyways come in your jammy jams and we will have December 25th actually be the last year uh, service of the year so the last service of the year is actually christmas is that a quinky dink or is that a holy ghost setup i don't know i think it's holy ghost setup because it's going to be so cool it's going to bring the conclusion of all the signs together and guess what that last sign is jesus raising lazarus from the dead so now you got two weeks having said all of that two weeks to read john chapter 10 and 11 how many are going to do it say i am that's for you to read your word you read it i preach it and i read it as well amen now this is what john said why he wrote his book and why we're doing this sermon series john 20 verse 30 jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book where are a lot of those signs found in matthew mark and luke the synoptic gospels you've learned about that but these are written what are are written the seven signs of John there's only seven miracles in John there's a reference like he's doing miracles but there are only seven noted miracles in the book of John why were these written that you may what believe everybody say believe come on let's not be sleepy you guys don't want to be sleepy today do you everybody say believe these are written that ye may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God, that, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why Jesus was doing those signs, was to show us that there was a world to come, that Jesus died on the cross for us to have eternal life. Those are the signs. So let's get into the sign now of Jesus healing the blind man, the works of God. Now here's what I got to do. I got to read 41 verses. So it's about ready to get real. Now, I got to keep your attention, too, so I, I'm hoping that I can do this. Now, I don't want to try to be entertaining because whenever I do, it comes off weird and it's fake. But I'm going to be myself, and I hope I can keep your attention. But I want to know this. Do you love the Word of God? Do you love the Bible? Because I can tell you stories about growing up 
in the country and talking about my dog that died. I can tell you stuff like that, make you cry a little tear, and you'll come to me and be like, Panther, I was so touching. Man. I found it. I found it right here. But listen, it will not change your life. What will change your life is these 41 verses. So this is not boring, right? This is cool stuff. Now, I did have a choice. I could have put on the hip-hop Bible. The hip-hop Bible, Streetlights, you can get it, Spotify, iTunes, has the whole entire book of John put to hip-hop. And I think some of you would have liked it. Others would have been offended. I wouldn't have cared either way. But I think it would not have gotten the same point across because then it just would have been like, I'm just listening to music because it is kind of cool like that. But listen, I could have played the Jesus movie from the book of John. Has anybody seen the Jesus movie from the book of John? They did this right, man. It's free at YouTube. Go check it out. It's like three hours long. The entire book of John, word for word with acting. They act it out, and whenever there's somebody not talking, there's like narration, and it is really well done. You won't be embarrassed to watch it. It's really cool. You can watch it with your friends, maybe even Christmas time, right? Like you can do something like that. Well, the point with that is like this whole story takes about 14 minutes. It's like really super dramatic when the mud gets wiped on his eyes and the guy's washing it off. It's like so slow. I feel like I would have put some of you guys to sleep. It's like 15 minutes long, and then I wouldn't have been able to preach as long. Now, some of you would have liked that. You would have liked me not preaching as long. You're like, yeah, pastor, play a movie. Just come on. Just don't talk so much. But I hope that you'll watch it on your own and get to the pre and want me to preach a little bit. Can I get an amen for that? Because I'm a little insecure. I need to hear another amen. Okay, I can do this. 41 verses from your B-I-B-L-E. How many are ready for this? Okay, now if I try to read really fast, what will happen is I'll start stumbling over words. Then I'll start feeling embarrassed and thinking about how I'm stumbling over words, and it will cause me to stumble over more words. So whenever you are public speaking, don't try to read really fast because it will mess you up, and you will find yourself in the danger zone. And the danger zone is that place where you just keep stuttering and missing stuff. So what I'm going to do is read adequately and appropriately at a good speed. Are you guys ready? Okay, here we go. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Everybody say the works of God. Thank you. That's today's sermon. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming. No one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Everybody say light of the world. Thank you. After this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This is what this word means, sent. So the man went and washed and came home seen. Can I get an amen for that? Come on. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others says, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. That was me. Verse 10, How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus put some mud, uh, took some mud and put it in my eyes. He told me to then go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Anybody remember Sesame Street, Snuffleupagus, best, best, uh, Big Bird's best friend? Big Bird had best friend named Snuffleupagus. Every time they came around the other friends, Snuffleupagus would run away. This is kind of like the same thing. This whole miracle happened, and he's like, Jesus did it. And they're, and they're like, where's Jesus? And he's like, I have no idea where Jesus is. I was blind. I have no idea. I was blind. I don't see where he walked away to. You know, But this is how crazy people are in the Bible. They're asking, did you see where he went? No, I'm blind. Okay, inside joke there. Okay, let's keep going. They brought, then they brought... 
they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. So they bring him before the troublemaker, some friends he has, right? Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the what day? The Sabbath. We'll get to that later. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him, how had he received his sight? He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. And we're going to learn he's more than a prophet. John didn't write these signs that we would know Jesus is a prophet, but rather we would know he's the Messiah, the Son of God, and believe in his name. Verse 18, halfway through here. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. The guy's like 35, and he's like, I know I was born blind. I'm telling you, no, we, we getting your parents, boy. Go get mama and papa. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. I don't know if you got parents like that, but that can be a little bit like my parents, a little sassy. Like, listen, principal, I have no idea why I'm in your office right now, but whatever he did, I believe it, okay? Whatever he did, that, that would be with my parents, you know? You know, some people's parents would stick up with them with the principal. No, 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 not my parents. My parents would be like, what did he do? I believe it. And like, even like the craziest story, they'd be like, okay, I believe it, you know, because I was always in trouble. And I'll never forget this. I will never forget getting paddled because I went to a Christian school for a little bit. And some of y'all young, you guys are like my little favorite crowd right now. I'm going to preach to you young guys, help motivate you to live for Jesus. You have never been paddled. Do you have been paddled by a Christian principal that has a paddle with little holes going through it so that it can travel through the wind at aerodynamic speed? I am telling you, he didn't just have like a normal like paddle, like a kind of like a bread oven paddle you would put bread on nice and flat. He had the kind with the holes in it. So you could, this is not even like a comedic act, but it sounds funny. But literally, you could hear it like whistling through the wind. You could hear it coming. Yeah, then pap, pap. That's how it was for me growing up. And my mom said if spanking him would have made him a better person, he would be an angel by now because I was spanked all the time. But these guys, these parents are like, hey, we don't know what's going on. Ask him. He's of age. We don't even know why we're here. Verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So they had a little fear, a fear in their hearts there. That's why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Leave us out of it. Look at verse 24 a second time they summoned the man who had been had been blind give glory to god by telling the truth they said we know this man is a sinner now here's the awesome part right here's what's going to preach he replied whether he's a sinner or not i don't know look at your neighbor and say one thing i know i was born blind but now i see he said, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you do not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? 
little sass there, verse 28. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples, a disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Everybody go, mm-hmm. That's right, baby. Come on. Verse 32. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a blind of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied. Let's see how nice they are to him. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that he had been thrown out, and when he found him, see, you got to understand, when they throw you out, Jesus is going to bring you in and find you. Come on. All right. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Isn't that awesome? Verse 38, then the man said, Lord, I believe. He worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. That's why I had to read all of that. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Isn't that awesome? Jesus knew how to tell it as it is, as it is. Not just how it is, how it is, baby. Don't get it twisted. Now look up here at this introduction because I got so much to say today. Let's just get right into it. The spiritual blindness that Jesus deals at with the end is actually the story within the story. Sometimes you've got to track with the Bible to really see what's going on in the Bible. Did you know that there's a pattern of stories within stories that, that's going on in Scripture? Like take, for example, the prodigal son. Don't you know there's a story within the story? What is the story uh, in the, uh, the story of the prodigal son? And who's that main character? Does anybody know? The other brother, the son, the other son. See, there's a story within the story. See, when you're reading the prodigal son, it's all about the prodigal son. He takes the money, he leaves, he spends, he comes back, and then there's just a little annoying little brother around there that says, I've been here the whole time. Why don't you have a party for me? You know, and it's like, we don't care about that guy, but hold on. There's a story within the story there. How about the good Samaritan? There's a story within the story because there's not just one guy that stops and helps a neighbor. There's actually people who pass by. Those people were chosen on purpose for the sake of that story. Well, the story within the story of the healing of the blind man are those who are spiritually blind. See, Jesus is setting us up through a physical miracle of the blind seeing, and then he's pointing to people who see and go, you are blind spiritually. So spiritual blindness is rampant today, just like it was in the time of Jesus. And sadly, the blind in spirit cannot see their need for sight. Think of that play on words. The spiritually blind cannot see their need for sight. They don't know that they're blind. They think that they can see. The Jewish people argued with Jesus on that fact. King Solomon wrote in Proverbs 4, 18 through 19, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter to the full light of day, but the way of the wicked 
is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. So think about this. I love the imagery of light in the Bible. That just captures my imagination, and especially the sunrise. I used to fish at the beach all the time. When I lived in New Orleans, I would go down to beaches all across the Gulf Coast and the ocean on my days off and fish. And some of the best fishing for what I like to fish for, sharks, is at night. They're nocturnal feeders. So I would fish from like 12 at night to 6, 7 in the morning, and there is nothing like that sun rise across the beach. How many like sunrises or sunsets at the beach? And I love this imagery because the Bible says the righteous are like this. The path that they are on is like that morning sun shining ever brighter. And so it's, it's growing light in your life. Your life in Christ is producing light that is expelling darkness. And it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And the contrast to that now is the wicked. They are in deep darkness and don't even know what makes them stumble so imagine like kind of like a horror story or horror movie type setup if someone took you locked you in a room and it's pitch black i'm talking like cellar pitch black and then they put traps in there where if you fell down there would be like these sticks the real sharp and they would you know impale you and there's broken glass and there's cobras and there's all of these scary things how many would like to be there and walk around no you wouldn't want to do that you would be scared and if and like we're like kind of like goofy around but if it was really like really really real you would freak out you'd be like, ah, you'd get scared and that's what the bible says the wicked are like but here's the thing they choose to stay in there despite what they're suffering despite the pain and the confusion and all the hurt that that's happening because of sin they stay there and Jesus wants to bring them out. But because they think this is the way they were born or this is the way it's supposed to be, they choose to stay there. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Well, I was born this way. Right? Or that's the way it is in my family. Or that's the way I was raised on my block. You don't say you're sorry from where I come from. You never do that, right? Or, or uh, you know what? This is how we drive where I come from. This is what we do in traffic where I'm from, right? And, and we use all these excuses, but we don't understand why there's so much pain in our life. So take, for example, the person that has a lot of money, but they have a lot of emptiness. They can't figure it out. It's like, I got money. I'm supposed to be happy. Why do I still feel empty? Because they don't know they're in darkness. Or the person that has a lot of sex, but doesn't feel intimate. Well, I'm supposed to be happy. Why am I not happy? I, I do a lot of these things with men and women, but I have no intimacy. I thought this would bring intimacy. They don't know what makes them stumble. Jesus, when he was crucified on the cross, what did he say about those who crucified him and had betrayed him? What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And if you want to put a little southern twang on there, you can just say, Father, they don't know no better. Father, they don't know no better. And sometimes you got to look at people in this world and understand the same thing. They don't know no better. Now, you may say, I think I have different kind of people in my life, Pastor. They show enough know better and keep doing and doing and doing and doing the stupid things of their life. There is a, tr a truth that they are freely choosing their sin. That is correct. But they don't see the sin for what it is. They see a, a, a glitterly thing, something that glitters and shines and, and captures their attentions, but they don't see that that is the result of their pain. Let me give you an example. So let's say there's a couple living together, having sex 
sex, they're not married, and they can't figure out why they're not having a, a good relationship. Well, they haven't built it upon God's law. You come to them and say, why don't you get married? And they go, well, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure. And then they remain in their darkness, and they keep stumbling upon a bad relationship. Does that make sense? Same thing with young people. I know we have a lot of young people here, and uh, I dealt with this too as a teenager. Rebellion. You're thinking everything you're going to do against your parents is going to make you happy. You go and disobey your parents, but you're still not happy on the inside because it's not your parents' fault. It's because you're rebellious and you're not submitting to the good that they're trying to get you to do. And you don't know what makes you stumble. And so we see the contrast here. Look at it quickly before we go on to the, to the next thing. Is that the righteous are light, the wicked are dark. That's how the world is right now. If you're light, you know your sin. You can repent and God can change your behavior and change your mind. If you don't have Christ in your life, you're sinning and not knowing that it's even sin or how to stop it. Let's keep going. Now, Jesus used that powerful sign of what? Healing the blind man instantly to display the works of God and healing his blindness. And what happened next? To bring the judgment of blindness to the seeing, to say to those who are actually physically seeing, if you don't get with what I'm doing, you're spiritually blind. So God brings judgment with the healing. Think about judgment day, how good is going to come and bad is going to come. A lot of people on that day are going to be like, oh, no, no, no. And I'm going to be like, yes, yes, yes. Right? A lot of people are going to be like that. A lot of people are like, let's, let's just kind of slow it down a little bit. Like Bill Gates is going to be watching his house go down and crumble. He's going to be like, no, no, no. And then I'm going to be seeing the new Jerusalem come. I'm going to be like, yes, yes. You know, right? That's what we're going to do. And all these world leaders and dictators and false religions, no, no, no. And we're going to be like, dun, 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 dun. I told you I was right. This is the man, right? That's what we're going to do. We're going to shout and give God glory. Y'all looking at me silly right now. Just contrast it. Contrast it with the World Series. Everybody with Cleveland, sad. Everybody with Chicago, happy. On Judgment Day, sinners are going to be sad and, and saints are going to be and he's supposed to be a bible college student <laughs> saints happy sinners sad same thing happening in a small way here healing comes to the blind man this guy's excited he's pumped these guys don't feel it was done right they get judged by god they're taking a licking they're getting rebuked and so what we need to look at is what side do we fall on are we like the blind man like the Amazing Grace song says, I once was blind, but now I see, you know, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Do we see ourselves in need of being healed, being given sight, living for Jesus, acknowledging who he is, worshiping him? Or do we hide behind a false religion, which the Jewish people were of that time, or vile wickedness like the pagans were? And today we still see that in our world. Because if we're blind and don't let Jesus uh, give us sight, we will perish. So may all the blind today see. If you're here today, no matter who you are, I pray that you will see and your eyes will be open and believe in Jesus before it's too late. Can I get an amen? Amen. Somebody say, break it down. All right, I'm going to break, break, break it down for y'all. Let's go through this passage because remember, after my cute stories and sermons are over, the word of God remains. I want you to understand these 41 verses. Here in the first few verses, we see that the, uh, the disciples ask, who sinned and made this man blind, his father, his parents, or was it himself? Now, the first thing that we understand here is that they had a wrong view of God's sovereignty and the problem of evil. 
And so as the note says here, God didn't directly cause evil, man did by his own free will, but rather God allowed evil to exist so that the glory, his glory might be seen through the works of Jesus. Now everybody give me your attention because I got to go deep. Somebody say, go deep. I'm going to go deep with it. Okay. So the first thing that we have to understand is where the Jewish people got the wrong mindset. The idea of sin transferring to parents was not a Jewish thought. It was not a Jewish thought. There was a sense of the curse going down from three and four generations, but it was not for blindness. This thought that the Jewish people had came from Eastern philosophy. This is the next thing that you have to understand. During the time of Jesus, around 30 uh, A.D., as he's alive now, he's born around 3 B.C., he dies at 33 years age, so that would be around 30 A.D. This time, Buddhism was already around. Uh, Hinduism was already around. Many different pagan philosophies were already around. The philosophies that they began to adopt wrongly because they lived in a pluralistic society, pluralistic society, uh, multiple cultures and religions was influenced by the East. They had a superstitious mind view known as karma. 2,000 years ago, this was still a part of the Hindu faith. you got to understand, Hinduism predated Jesus, but Jesus created people who became Hindus. Does everybody get that? So sometimes people will be like, well, this guru came before Jesus and Buddha came before Jesus. No, 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 no. They might have lived before his incarnation, but Jesus created everybody. He's the creator. Does everybody get that? Okay, so let's move on past that. So they had a wrong understanding, and they were thinking to themselves, parents sin, bring curse upon themselves, and the person who's already lived a former life has sinned and now brought a curse upon himself. So it's like one or the other, rather. Uh, which one was it? Which is the karmic cycle being fulfilled here? And everybody get this. This is wrong in so many ways. Okay, I've been to India three times. It's still being practiced today and I'm going to explain it to you as fast as I can because I want us to expose this lie a lot of times we think of like karma and like our little friends who go to yoga yoga as exercise is fine but yoga spirituality is bad okay and we look at this and we go that's pretty cool you know that's pretty cool man you know no this is bad very bad let me explain it to you okay the idea is that we've all come from Brahma, we've all come from God, we've all come from the light, and God is everything, and God is here, and we're going to return back to God, and the way we're going to do that is through our lives and deaths, our karmic cycle. We're going to live and die, live and die, and as we're going through the journey of life, we are then going to take on, in the next life to the next life, our uh, our rewards and punishments from our previous lives, and so we're hopefully going to inch our way forward. We may go three steps forward, two steps back, but if we we can go forward more than we're going backwards eventually we'll come into bliss nirvana or one with brahma and we're going to take that on now the difference between side note between hinduism and buddhism is buddhism is a is a um is a breakaway a reformation or a turning away from hinduism uh, buddha was a hindu and so the hindus still claim buddha as one of their own okay but uh, and i've been to nepal and some of the famous places there in Kathmandu of where buddha was but but listen buddha just tried to simplify hinduism by removing the priests and all of the rituals okay but the, the the message of their religion is both very much the same and that is you go through many cycles you earn your way forward but what they never want to tell you the westerner what they never want to tell brad pitt or the cool hollywood person is that you go backwards too and so when you 
uh, see a sick child, the sick child is sick because they lived a bad life in a previous life. And now you understand why Mother Teresa had to go to India as a Catholic missionary because you got to give it up for the Catholics. They had one thing right, charity, because she had to go there and help their own because they were casting them out. L listen to that. The caste system casts people out based on how they were born, to what place, in, uh, to what last name they had, to what family they were born to, and then how they were born. And so very similar, this mindset came to the Jewish person. So this man is blind. He must have murdered somebody or did something wicked in a previous life, and now he is here suffering. Should we help him then? No. He deserves to be punished on this earth. That is why they made them in India untouchable, still there today. I just had a woman from India join with me. She says, not only is it still there, it's here. And, and she said, they, and I have, we have one of the biggest temples for the Hindu religion in our, uh, in our city, in our area, one of our suburbs. You can look it up. It's right by my house. I live in an Indian community as well. She said the caste system still exists there. Not everybody, but still exists there. So, so here's the point. Shame on these disciples for adopting a false view of what God is like and what, uh, what evil is like or why there's problems in the world. And so what's the real, what's the real issue here? The real issue here is they're not understanding the, the concept of evil upon the earth. And that brings us to another big thing, okay? And so the big question, the problem here is the problem of evil. How many know there's a problem with evil in the world? We got a lot of problems with evil. We could summarize it as the problem of evil. Now here is the problem with the problem with evil, is if you have a problem with evil but you do not have a moral standard, you can have no problem with evil. Everybody understand this. If I say there's too much evil in the world, how could God allow this? What's the first thing you want to ask me is where did you get your definition of evil? Does everybody get that? So if anybody ever comes to you and goes, man, you believe in God? And you're like, yeah, I believe in God. Well, then why is there so much evil in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? Then just ask them and go, what's your definition of evil? Where did you get it from? Well, it's just bad stuff. Well, do you believe there's a God that defines evil objectively, that it's really, really evil? If they say no, then say you have no problem then. Because evil doesn't exist in your worldview. It's just ants eating ants. It's just doggy dog. That's all it is. See, you have to admit an objective standard of morality to have a problem with evil. So who are the only ones who can rightfully have a problem with evil without committing self-contradiction? Those who believe in God or religion or those who believe in, you know, some type of higher power. We believe in that. Now, Christians have the best answer for the problem of evil. So you take the Hindu uh, Eastern philosophy, you can summarize that as one. You could take Islam, summarize that as another one, as a main one. You can then take the animist pagan religions and summarize them as one. And then you can take Judeo-Christian faith and summarize it as one. Those are the major worldviews. Because remember, agnostic atheism cannot have a consistent problem with evil. You don't have a problem because you don't have a definition of evil. What are we even talking about it then, right? Okay, so, so going through the Eastern philosophy, evil is yin and yang, balanced by good, and you go through life, you choose one over the other, you suffer, you have good, until you get rid of all your evil, all your attachment, and then you become one with, with nirvana. Here's the problem. No evil is ever atoned for. Evil itself then can be just as good as good. So it has a place and a proper place. So do you believe murder, murder is just as good or uh, can have good intentions as 
loving someone, helping your neighbor. No, you don't. There's something wicked about murder, and there's something beautiful about loving your neighbor. But in a world of yin and yang, they have to complement each other. They have to work together for a purpose. And so that is a false view, and we don't even accept that in our own everyday life. You don't want any evil. How much evil do you want inside of you right now? None. If, and then we would say this to the atheist. If you believe in evil, if, we, if you take our worldview as, as we believe in good and evil, how much would you want in you? None. But yin and yang takes away what evil is. Evil and yin and yang is not really evil. It's just a lesser than good. And that's actually a contradiction as well. So the idea is yin and yang cannot give us our sense of justice, our sense of nobility, our sense of knowing right and wrong truly for what it is. Because then all actions are equal. All actions are equal. Now, the next thing is, when you think about Islam, Islam has a sense of justice and judgment, but it has no sacrifice or atonement for personal sins. So, yes, there's a God that can forgive you if you do these works. You know, pray five times towards Mecca. Do the fast during Ramadan. There's five pillars of Islam, six major beliefs. I've wrote and written about it. And so the bottom line is, yes, there's a God that's going to punish sinners. We can agree with that. But here's the thing. Where have... What happens to my sins, and where do I go if I sin uh, more, or rather, where do I go if I've sinned just as much as I've done good? And so here's the idea, scales of judgment. And so the, the Islamic belief is you got to just, you got to inch 51% of good over your bad. You, you, you've got you've to do that. But here's the problem, what, and this is what I was trying to say before, what happens to the, the evil I've done even though I've done more good? There's no atonement for it. And so it's almost like God just goes, well, you're okay. You did more good. But let's think about it right now. Let's say somebody murdered your mother. How many good works could somebody do for you for the rest of their life, 80 works, to make up for the one act of taking away your mother? How many good works could take away the, the murder of your mother? How many? None of them. None of them could ever make up for it. So the scale of justice is there, and it's, it has a sense of right and wrong, different than the Eastern philosophy, but since it's based on works, it's, there's no true justice, and there's no real atonement. And then now put it in the reverse. If you had murdered somebody, what good works could you ever do to make up for that murder? You could never do that. So in the Muslim belief is, I'm going to do all these good works and make up for my bad works. You couldn't make up one good work, and all the good works in the world could never uh, uh, take over or, or never overcome all the evil you've done. So now what are we left with? Animistic pagan religion. And animistic pagan religion is basically kind of like summarizing. This is, this is the crazy thing, is if you look at pagan religions all over the world, they share things in common, like idolatry. You know, if you look at the Greeks and their pagan religion, to the, to the, the people living in jungles, worshiping their, their ancestors, whatever. And so they do have a sense of sacrifice. And guess who's one of the worst ones that we had on our continent, or one of close to our continent, the... The Incans and the Mayans, you know what? They were pagan, and you know what they love to do? And that's what i got to say to all my Latinos, because I know that a lot of times when we talk, and they're like, I'm so proud of my Mayan heritage, man. I'm so proud of my Incan heritage. Do you know what they did? Do you have any idea what they did? Let's just be honest. Like, if I was, like, part Viking, I would be like, yeah, I'm pretty cool. Like, I was Viking. But they were also some crazy dudes. Does everybody get what I'm saying? The Incas would sacrifice your children. They would kill people by the tens of thousands. Google search it right now. How many did they kill? And, of course, there was white pagans. Who were the white pagans? The Romans and the Greeks. They killed and sacrificed too, so it ain't just a white thing. And Babylon, Babylon was white. Okay, we'll give that back to you guys. Okay, but anyways, uh, here's the deal. 
sacrifice, sacrifice, but they're sacrificing wrong people for the problem of evil. Okay, so it's like, we got problems, what are we going to do about it? Grab us a virgin, put it up here on the fire, cut her heart out, ah, scream really loud, and then set her on fire. Does that change the problem? That does not change the problem of evil in the world. So they were on to something. So where did human sacrifice come from? You can read the book Eternity in Their Hearts by Cyril Richardson. He's a, a PhD of missiology and studying mission throughout history. This is back to what we learned from Adam and Eve, is that we had to have a, a blood sacrifice atone for our sins. They were naked, remember, they clothed themselves in, in fig leaves, and so God killed an animal and clothed them. And from that point on, blood was associated with forgiveness, and that even is why we have a, free, uh, a sacrificial code in the Judeo faith. And so now, having summarized all of that, you can't have a problem with evil unless you actually have a religious belief of a God that, that, that grounds what morality is. If you then choose the wrong God or the wrong mindset, you won't have justice and atonement found in your worldview. The only worldview that matches our hearts, that shows us what we yearn for. We yearn for justice. We want to see evil paid for. We want to see it done away with. We want to see it punished. And at the same time, we know we're evil. So why do bad things happen to good people? The first problem is the way we phrase the question. Bad things always happen to bad people because all of us are sinners falling short of the glory of God. We're in a fallen world. So that's why we understand justice. But then we have to have atonement. Not atonement through our own good works. Not atonement through sacrificing our neighbor's virgin or the competing village down the road burning them down. What we have to do is turn to a pure, spotless, sinless one that stands in our stead. Sounds a lot like Jesus. And so here's the problem with evil. You want to know the problem with evil? I'll give you the solution. It's so simple. It's whether or not you believe it. Here's the answer to the problem of evil. Jesus. So somebody goes, I got a problem with evil. I got an answer. Jesus. Jesus is. And you could sing this little song back to them. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. You could say, you got a problem, I got an answer, his name's Jesus. Any other questions? Let's move on. I'll help solve some more world problems, you know. It's that simple. So Jesus is the answer. Well, then how did evil get here? Well, just go to the Bible. God created the world perfect, gave us a choice to step out of perfection. He said, here's an umbrella, stay under it as long as you don't want to get wet. Want to get wet? Throw the umbrella down, you'll get as wet as you want. We threw the umbrella down. We chose evil. Now you see it. Now somebody may be real slick and say, well, God could have done this a better way. God could have not given us the choice of evil. Well, then we would have been automatons. We would have been robots. We would have been just doing whatever we were programmed. God wanted us to have free will. Now, somebody says, well, okay, I'll buy it that God wanted us to have free will. But he could have limited our consequences. That means when Cain would have went to kill Abel with a rock, he's going to hit him upside with the rock. God could have just changed the consequence right then and there that the rock changes to uh, cotton candy. And instead of putting a rock on his head, it just changes to cotton candy. And he just gets it all over, get a little noogie. And then they forget about what they were fighting about to begin with. And then they start just wrestling around in cotton candy. But here's the problem. Free will without consequences is not true free will. It's, a, it's, it's living in a padded world. So for God to let us really experience good, we had to really experience good. It, it couldn't be good, good light. It would have to be good, full good. And if the choice 
of evil was going to be given to us. It's not evil light. It's not evil watered down. It's what evil is. Now, here's the crazy thing. This shows you men's rebellion and why there's a hell. We live in a world where we see what evil looks like. We hear of the stories of rape and murder and all of these crazy things, and yet we still turn our back on God. How could we see a world so full of evil, see a God so full of love calling us back to him, and then thumbing our nose at God saying, I will choose evil over you? Well, then guess what? You get just what you want in the end, an eternity without God. And what is hell? Hell is the departure of everything that is good. This is not hell. This is a taste of hell. But this is not hell because light still shines here. Hell is total darkness. This is not hell because truth is still here. Hell will be all a falsehood and illusion and pain and torment. Just imagine that insanity, no comfort of your mind. Everything you feel today that is ever good has come from God. And there is of torment, of pain, no light, all darkness, evil, and aloneness and separation. And so when we get to this idea, when the disciples, first verse here we're trying to help you out with, uh, the first thing that we see is the disciples have it all wrong. And Jesus corrects them. He says, the, wor- the reason why the world is like this is because this is what my Father chose for me to do, the good works. And the good works are in contrast to the evil. Jesus is coming down to fix our mess. And what does the cross say to us? This is what it costs God. His only Son had to come and die for us that's the solution the problem came from us and so one uh, the, the, the person of the son had to come and be uh, come in the world to become like us so if someone says well pastor it's so unfair that I was born a sinner well you know what it was unfair that Jesus took your sins and here's the thing. You may say, well, I would have done better, better than Adam and Eve. You know, Adam and Eve, they, they messed it up. God in his foreknowledge knew that all of us would have done the same thing. So he didn't want to waste his time go, Adam and Eve, okay, here you go. They mess up. You're done. Let's get the next ones in. Okay, you're done. Let's get the next ones in. You're done. He just set it up as our headship, as the ones that represent all of humanity. Are you with me on that? Now watch this. If you're still sassy, go, I don't know. I don't know if I would have sinned like Adam and Eve. Let's just do a free will test right now. Everybody raise up your hand. Raise it up, please. You're doing it freely, but I've asked you. Now put it down whenever you want to with your sassy free will. You put it down whenever you want. Somebody's like, I was never putting it up to begin with. So here's what you do. Here's what you do. You, you sin on your own all the time. Nobody makes you look at pornography. Nobody makes you cuss out somebody. Nobody makes you lose your temper. So stop getting upset with Adam and Eve. You prove it all the time. You are a S-I-N-N-E-R sinner. And you need Jesus to save you. For the problem of evil, amen, thank you, good sir. The problem of evil came through sin. We've all likely done it. We've, uh, we've all done it alike, rather. We've all done it, and we've all deserved its punishment. Jesus comes to bring perfect justice. All your sins are paid for by Jesus. If you don't accept Jesus, you will pay for it for eternity. Do you get that? Justice is served. The atonement is given. Jesus' blood represents the blood of your being that has caused, that has been tainted by sin. And now you can have a blood transference. And you can have a new blood, a new born again, a nature coming through you, washed clean, made now white as snow. Does everybody get that? So that was my little talk on evil, and I got so much to talk about today. Okay, so let's go to breaking it down number two. How many ready to break it down number two? Okay, here we go. There's so much in that, right? Okay, now here's what's awesome about this is they go, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Neither 
This happened so the works of God could be displayed. Why are you still here after the world has fallen into sin so the works of God can be displayed? You are here to demonstrate the works of God. Now, Jesus, with the sense of humor that he has, could have healed the man any way he wanted to, but what way did he choose to do it? Taking some dirt from off the ground, spitting on it, and putting it on the man's eyes, once again showing us that he has a sense of humor. Now, behind that sense of humor, what do we see dirt being uh, used in, uh, used with, with humanity before in the Bible? Where do we see that? At creation. Who created us out of the dust of the earth? Who did? God. What person of the God had created us? Jesus. Let's look to John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning through Him. How many things were made? All things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So who was it 6,000 years ago framing us in dust, breathing His life into us? Jesus, who has now entered into humanity and is now playing with dirt again, Jesus. And what that shows us is that Jesus with dirt can do anything. Now, some of you may look at that, and I, and I don't have a lot of time to get in this whole 21st century thing on miracles, but I'll try to take you as long as I can. I'll keep you safe, okay, because it's no one outside. we got to give time for the plows to go, okay? So let's think about it like just cuddle around the campfire, put up a little fire behind me, you know, we'll just keep them here for a little bit. Now listen, let me just go through this really quick. Some people are like, oh, this is so stupid. He took dirt and he did it. You guys believe that stuff? You know, okay, here, here's the deal. You don't think dirt's cool? You don't think dirt's cool? You don't think dirt's cool at all? Okay, create your own. There you go, create your own. Here's the deal. Just start with nothing. Start with nothing, create dirt, go. Can you do it? How powerful is dirt when you think about it? So powerful. Where did it come from? Where did it come from? It had to come from somewhere. Well, it came from a big bang. You know, we know that thing. Well, who banged it? What banged? Right? So now we have this idea that everything is made of particles, some atomic particles, string theory. There's a world underneath our world in some ways, you could say. You know, you look at it through a microscope, and you're like, wow, that's some pretty advanced design stuff going on. It's all particles. So what is God doing? He is taking particles, putting it upon other particles, going, that's what I can do with it. Boom, here you go. You're healed. You see now. Because what does the eye turn to after a little while anyway? Dust and dirt. Hello, what are you? Dust and dirt. It's pretty amazing what God can do with dust and dirt. Now, here's something I want you to think about when it comes to miracles, because some people, oh, I don't know, I don't know if he could do that with dust and dirt. Okay, let's pretend right now you're animating. You're, you're, you're on a computer. You're making the Simpsons, and, and one of the guy pokes out his eyes and goes blind. Could you in the Simpson program and just go, oh, I'm going to put in an eye right here. Could you do it? Yeah, because you're the creator of the program. You're the creator of the program. You control the cartoon, RGB, colors, whatever. You control the computer. Can God control the particles of this universe? He's the creator. Now, here's why I want to go a little bit deeper that I can get to last time because I keep building on this. Could you, in that, uh, in that program, as the creator of that program, could you create a square circle? You could not. Could you create any world where 2 plus 2 doesn't equal 4? You could not. What that means is you are bound by the laws of logic. Could Jesus create a square circle? Could Jesus create a married bachelor? No, he couldn't. Those who are saying, yep, you're wrong. But I love you. Thank you for your faith. I'm just saying, yep, Patrick, because I want to be right with you. Thank you. You're going to learn. You're going to learn. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Anything that is the opposite of truth is a lie. Jesus cannot lie. Logic is truth. Logical laws are truth. 
So God is not illogical. See, a lot of times Christians think God is illogical. They'll just say, well, God can do anything. And then a, a little sassy person will come up to you and say, well, can God make a rock he can't, uh, big enough he can't lift? And then now you'll be like, bung, I don't know what to do with that because I guess he can't do something. And the problem is it's a paradox. See, what you're basically saying is can God lie? No, God cannot lie because God is truth. So does God do illogical things? No. Illogical things are impossible to God because God only does what is possible according to his character, according to the nature of God. So is it, is it possible for God to rape one of his creation? No, that is impossible because remember, God is the truth. He will never do anything that is a lie. and He will never allow a lie to come from his, his, his nature. So now think of it like this. Miracles are not paradoxical. They're not illogical. What a miracle is is a supernatural occurrence. It is the law of the Spirit intervening into the law of nature. And the laws of nature were created by the laws of Spirit. Remember, God said, let there be light. The spoken word of God is what created everything that we see now. He controls it and all the laws that he set up. So when God is walking, uh, Jesus is walking on water, he is not violating the law of gravity. The creator is simply giving that law a temporary hold or superseding the law by the the, uh, the code that he can write at those moments. Going back to the Bart Simpson story, you can supersede the codes that you put in. You could say, at this time he runs forward, at that time he runs backwards, or like a video game, you can't go through this wall. But at any point, you can say, I'm going to change that code and allow you to go through that wall. So the idea is, miracles are not illogical. Miracles are not lies. Miracles are not paradoxes. Miracles are the acts of God superseding the laws of nature that he created. Does everybody get that? So what is happening with the, with the dirt and the blind man? This is not a trick. This is not a paradox. This is a literal creator in his own creation taking the code of dirt and the particles that are there and transferring them to the man's DNA in subatomic particles doing by the Spirit the healing power. And then he asked the guy to do something, go wash yourself off, and it's done. And so go back and study the epistemic, epistemic theory of miracles so that you can ground your faith and not, and not just uh, uh, blind faith, illogical faith, so that you can ground yourself in faith and reason. Because otherwise, you will use one part of your brain at work tomorrow and another part of your brain called make-believe when you come to church here on Sunday. And I don't want make-believe Christians. I want Christians, you don't have to understand the epistemic theory to be a, a real Christian, but I don't want you to think that God is a God who tells lies, breaks his word, or does things illogical. Isn't that amazing? So next time you go to your professor, you tell them that. Next time you talk to somebody that doesn't think God can do miracles, you tell them that. And let me just say this. Everything here is already the result of a miracle. The world you know is a result of a miracle. Life is a miracle. The way the chemicals bind together are miracles. Everything that we have in science is observation. Science has created nothing. You may say, oh, well, we do this, we do that. No, all we're doing is manipulating and using what has already been here. It's already been here. The laws 
formulas of computer science already been here. We're just discovering them and manipulating them. Are you understanding? The laws of rocket science already been here. We're just using and manipulating. Aeroscience, you know, aeronomics and all that, all we're doing is using and manipulating. Every medical discovery, everything we ever do that is good here has always existed here by the provision of God. Can I get an amen? Okay, so God, uh, so Jesus used dirt to heal somebody. I believe it. If you believe it, can I hear an amen? God healed the man when he was obedient to Jesus and operated in faith. That's the interesting part right here is why didn't Jesus just say be healed? Because we see that Jesus loves interacting with us and our faith. The faith, the grain, the size of a mustard seed is what changes lives. I was at my mother's kitchen table, didn't have a lot of faith, but my mother told me Jesus is the answer. Literally, Jesus is the answer, and I believed it. Life changed. How often do you put your faith in God and do things change? And I want to go back up here to the superstition thing because I didn't get a lot of time with this, but how many of you have superstitious beliefs, things that are not biblical? Do you hold on to the horoscope and those kinds of silly beliefs? What's that Mexican belief, the chupacabra? What is that thing called? What is it called? Chupacabra. Do you guys believe in that? Don't do that. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you believe Aunt, Aunt Mima came and visited you one day and told you something? Do you believe in reincarnation? Do you believe in the force like Obi-Wan Kenobi? Hello? Do you believe all religions are the same and lead to the same path? Do you believe that if you walk under a ladder inside your house, it's bad luck? Do you believe that when you're cooking, you have to dash salt over your shoulder? Otherwise, something bad is going to happen to you. Do you believe that every time somebody sneezes, you have to say, God bless you? Have you ever wondered why you don't say that when they pass gas? Because that's when they really need to be blessed. God bless you. Lord bless them. I always say back to people, I just did it this week. They, I go, what you? And they say, God bless you. And I say, I am. I'm blessed by the best. Thank you. And then it just opens up the door to talk about Jesus. So get rid of false beliefs. Jesus could take dirt and use it. Why? Because he created it, and it has the power of what he assigns it to. He healed the man in obedience to his faith. The Jewish people get sassy and cause problems. Why are these Jewish people causing so many problems? Don't you look at the Bible and like, what's wrong with these guys? Can't they get it together? Because who are the Jewish people in our mindset? Who are these leaders? These are these people with those long black beards and whiskers that kind of twirl around. They got on a hat and a, you know, and like a black robe and they're sinister and they laugh like this. <laughs> and they're like, oh, Jesus, where's the, where's the blind boy's parents? It's like a character out of uh, Harry Potter. Like these are the Jewish leaders, but we have no idea who they are. They come from the Maccabean period when God set them free through a revolt that they had against the Greeks. See, the Jewish people had been oppressed because of their paganism. Read your Bible like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. They were brought under the Babylonians and the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians and the Assyrians were taken over by uh, Greek and uh, Persia and then Greece and then Rome. And at one point, they rebelled and they fought back, and that's why they celebrate Hanukkah now it's from the Maccabean revolt and these pharisaical leaders were actually the pillars of their society who were making sure we don't worship idols again and what are now people doing worshiping a man and they're upset but they didn't understand who Jesus was so let's not paint them in a picture as the the, the stupid the redonkulous they're actually trying to guard their people going we don't worship this we worship God remember Moses said we, he doesn't look like us we don't make statues of him. He's not a man. And now you're worshiping a man. He's saying he's equal to the Father. 
They tried, if you've been reading up until this point, they've already tried to kill him like two or three times. They're, he's eventually going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And then guess what the Jewish leaders are going to try to do to Lazarus? They're going to try to kill him now. Like, how dare you get raised from the dead? We're going to kill you. We're going to make sure you stay dead this time. Seriously. But let's, not make, let's, let's make sure we don't look at them too harshly, lest we ourselves become like them. And that's going to be the end of the message. It's going to be really good, so hang on as I get ready to close. When the Pharisees brought in the man's parents, we see something that's not noble. They were afraid. They didn't stand up. They should have stood up more instead of throwing their son under the bus. Now, this is the part that can preach, and I wish I could at times just preach this. Maybe I'll just preach it again, not bore you guys so much with the problems of evil and some atomic particles and all of those different things. Maybe next time I will just preach on, I was born blind, but now I see you. Come on, you know what I'm saying? I don't know who he is, but I know I've been set free. And I think that's a great message. We can do that one time. We'll all shout and holler and run around the church and wave our banners. But I wanted to make sure you understand why that's so important, okay? Let's go to the next one. The Pharisees mistreat the man, but watch. Jesus put, they put him out. Jesus took him in. And then he gets the, the revelation of who he is, and he worships and believes in Jesus. This is not idolatry. This is not a mere man. This is the God man. The Son of God has come in the flesh and made his dwelling among us. And then it ends with this powerful sentence here. For judgment I have come into the world. Well, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Jesus judges you. And I'm telling you what he said. So a lot of times people tell you, judge not lest ye be judged. And they got to read the rest of the Bible. Jesus told me his judgment, and I'm telling it to you now. The, the rebuke of Matthew when it says, don't judge lest you be judged, is to the pharisaical leaders who made up their own judgments. Like judging you on how you dress, judging you that's not found in the Bible. But the Bible says, uh, well, it's not found in the Bible. The Bible says it will judge you. And this is how desperate I am now for a Bible because I don't have a paper one anymore. And preachers used to wave their Bibles around. Now i got to pick up my laptop. The Word of God, here it is. Let me see your Bible there. Let me see your Bible, good sir. There we go. Come on, give it up for Augie bringing one of these bad boys. Oh, the smell of a well-worn Bible. Let me treat this bad boy with respect. The Word of God, amen. On the Word I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. Jesus came and gave his judgment. We are not judging upon our own words. We're judging upon the Word of God. When we tell you that if you live in adultery, you will not inherit the kingdom of God, but you will bust hell wide open, I am just about quoting to you exactly Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. When I tell you you will perish without Jesus Christ because he's the way, the truth, and the life, I am telling you what the word of God says. When I tell you that all the cowardly, all the lying, all the unbelieving, all the vile shall have their place in the lake of fire, I'm telling you what the word of God said. Amen? When we, when we talk about the Bible, we're talking about the words of God. May I just keep this up here for a little bit? Amen. Okay. So here's the deal. Let's end it right. Let's end it right because I have a whole lot of stuff i got to talk about here. But let's end our introduction right, okay, before I get to preaching here. If you don't see today your need to see today, you're blind and in trouble. Does everybody get that? If you don't see your need to see today, you are blind and in trouble. It's the ones that admit their need and say, I am blind, that will be set free. The Jewish leaders didn't think they were blind. Thus, they were the worst kind of blind people, those in pride and rebellion. 
And so when I tell my story about being saved, and I tell my story, which is like high school dropout drugs and all this, and somebody's like, oh, yeah, you needed to be saved. I'm so happy for you now. Uh, I'm like, well, so do you need to be saved. And they're like, no, I don't really need it like that. The people on Wicker, uh, Wacker Drive, they need it. I'm like, you need it more than them. Because at least the guy waking up smelling like urine today knows something is wrong. You don't think there's something wrong, right? And that take that one step further. There's nothing worse than the religious person that thinks they're right. That's why I love wearing boots and cargo pants on Sunday because it helps religious people get an idea that Jesus is not coming to you in a three-piece suit today. Jesus is coming to you through his word. And I've had this, I could tell you about the silly stuff that I've had people say back to me. Like they don't think it's a church because we have this and have that or where I dress like this. And then they go over here and they think that's a church. But the guy who dresses like that has three girlfriends on the side, is taking your money and spending it on a Bentley and is pimping you like you would not even believe. So my, not saying all pastors are like that, but I'm saying when you think this is what you want, that's not what you want. What you want is a man or woman of God leading you in the church and you want to be a man or woman of God so let's stop being religious because religion is what got these boys off track the relationship with Jesus is what they needed can I get an amen here they are in closing do's and don'ts here's your applications I've taught you that I'm really happy about that because now you at least understand those uh, verses there here's the do's and don'ts do remember God is good don't be freaked out by Jesus do what Jesus says don't be afraid of persecution do believe and worship Jesus don't be prideful and blind let me just go through this as Rachel comes to play soft music to make you think about how not I'm so late right now okay make them think about nice soft things amen mm, the bestie best it's still snowing outside though right see it's snowing you guys we're not in a hurry we're, not, we're just hanging out Every good and perfect gift, James 1.17 says, is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Remember that illustration of light? Remember we got that illustration of light that the righteous are like light, the wicked are in darkness. The Bible says God is light. There is no shadow in him. All the pain, all the torment you and I suffer in this world, God will make right. And in this world, come to him. And he will bring his light and push away the darkness. How many have seen darkness be pushed away? I've seen darkness be, leave my heart. I've seen darkness leave people's lives. That's so powerful. Never forget that. Don't be freaked out by Jesus. I don't have time to read all of this. But the blind man, you know, he wouldn't have seen Jesus go down and start making the mud. But he could have felt it, you know. And the moment he felt like some slobbery thing come on his eye, he could have been like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I don't know what you're doing. And whatever you're doing, please stop. But somehow he knew it was Jesus. Because we know that those who suffer from lacking uh, one of their senses have stronger and heightened senses. So his hearing was probably amazing. He probably heard very clearly that it was Jesus around him. And probably he heard as Jesus stopped. Maybe people in the crowd being like, oh, Jesus stopped. What is he going to do with that blind man? So he's like, oh, Jesus just stopped. I might be that blind man, right? And so he's hearing, and he's trusting what he does not see. He's trusting what he does not see. How many of us are veiled by flesh right now and can't see what God is doing in our life? But God is asking us to trust him. That is so mic drop right now, but you guys are tired. You guys are so tired. You're going to go home, Pastor. I'm so tired. Do you all get the mic drop on that, though? The blind man could not see what Jesus was doing, but he had to trust him. 
Can you see what God is doing in the Spirit right now? But you got to trust Him. Things get dirty sometimes. I'm not saying this is sin. I'm not saying dirt is sin like Jesus wiped dirt on his eyes. But life is dirty sometimes. You may be a boss that has to fire one of your employees. You may have to have a real serious talk with somebody in your family. And you will deal with the dirt in the mud of this world. But when God is with you, he is working behind the scenes. He is doing a miracle on your behalf. And you need to trust him. The Bible says, my ways are not your ways, nor my thoughts your thoughts, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above your your thoughts. And he says, but my word will never return void. It will always accomplish what I set it out to do. And then the man had to do his part. And so it's like we have to be obedient while God is doing what he is doing. We pray as if everything depends on God, and we work as if everything depends on us. I'm not saying it's grace by works that I'm saved. I'm just saying that the life of obedience is tied to my faith. Faith is is expounded through my life of good works. I show that I truly believe. The man truly believed Jesus and went and did what he said. How am I going to do what Jesus says in their life? Come on. Don't be afraid of persecution. The Bible says don't be afraid of those who kill your body but can't kill your soul. This these parents were a bad example. They should have came up into those into that place and been like, look, if my son told you this, that's what happened. I believe my son. But they were like, look, ask him. Look, just talk to him. Because they were afraid they were going to get kicked out of the synagogue. Let's not be like that. Let's live and die for Jesus. Can I get an amen? 55-year-old woman, I wear this to remind me of the persecuted church, 55-year-old woman in in India was killed a few weeks ago by Hindus. A lot of people don't know that Hindus persecute Christians. Sometimes we think they're just vegetarian, just doing a whole lot of meditation. They are very militant when they are in control. And I'm not saying all Hindus are like this, not saying that at all. But she was praying, she was interceding. They said she was a disturber of the peace. They drug her out of her village, out of her hut thing, stripped her naked, and beat her to death, and then burned her body. My friends, don't be afraid of persecution. Live for Jesus. Do what he says. Can I get an amen for that? If a 55-year-old woman can give her life for Jesus as a martyr, let's give our lives for Jesus in this country. The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. How many love worshiping Jesus? Amen. Don't be prideful, and don't be blind. Here, I got to say this quickly and close. Remember I said we could be those Pharisees? It's real easy to talk about us being the blind men, but I want to tell you the story within the story. Here it is. We could become a Pharisee, all of us here. What does a Pharisee look like in a church like this? You come to church loving Jesus. You're excited, and after a while, you become religious, and you stop really participating in what you're supposed to do here. You stop interacting, and you stop living for God. You stop reading this with the heart of God. You start reading this just because you have to. And then before you know it, you shut it and you don't read it anymore. And then when you come to church, you're like, man, why is Pastor taking so long? Don't, don't you know we should be out of here? We've been here since long, 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 long. And you become like this. And then the Bible says you've lost your heart. You've lost your heart for why you're here. Look at the Bible says, I know your deeds. Revelation 3, 15 through 18. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot, but I wish you're one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about ready to spit you out of my mouth. That's no longer talking to Pharisees. That's talking to us. When was the last time you came early, stayed late? When was the last time you did your discipleship, your life groups, your prayer, your Bible? You just loved God and did what he said. You loved to keep his commands because you loved him. I could become a Pharisee. What do Pharisees look like? They look like me if I stop loving Jesus. It's my job. 
it was snowy today, not a lot of people were here. Pastors, you know, we talk like this. You know, was it a base hit or was it a home run or a strikeout? That's how we talk, honestly. Oh, man, I struck out, didn't do very well. It was a stupid message. Did my best, though, whatever. But it was a base hit. Some people came out. Oh, it was a home run. We had a lot of people. Okay, listen, I could get so lost in that to where it's not about the one. It's not about what God's doing in me. I even forget about me at church. It's like, I'm not at church. I'm working. I'm working. I'm working, doing stuff, doing stuff. Forget about the altar. Forget about worship. Why do you think I stay up here at the end of every service? Because I'm at church. I'm getting me some of the Holy Ghost. I'm getting to interact with God. You all get that? We can forget this so easy. He says, don't do that because I'm going to spit you out my mouth. Verse 17. Now, what do we say back when we hear that? If you're in a pharisaical mindset, what do you say? Oh, I know I'm wrong. No, what do pharisaical people say? I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. I'm good. Look at me. I got a big church. Look at me. I got a big Bible. Look at my family. We got a lot of money. Look at us. I, I, our church is awesome. And you can get so lost to that. And the Bible, the Bible says here, it doesn't matter. Because he's not looking at the external. He's looking at your heart. Now watch. This is going to blow your mind. This is where I wish I could have preached. But I had to get a little deep here. He said, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. White clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. Now watch this. And salve to put on your eyes so you can what? See, the man was born blind. He needed to be saved. But the Pharisees, in this sense, well, let's get away from the Pharisees. And the Christians, we're born again. We now can see. But this is not a person born blind. What the salve is there is a medicine. And when you live in a desert dry culture, you got to put eye drops in your eyes. My doctor told me to do it because I'm riding uh, my bike all the time when I got my new prescription. She's like, you've got blood vessels popped all the time because you're rubbing your eyes. She said, do you rub your eyes? And I go, yeah. She said, well, you're rubbing them because they're dry and itchy. And I said, yeah. I told her, I'm riding my bike all the time. You're in a dry culture. You've got to put salve in your eye. You've got to put that moisture so your eye can take it, Right? So here's the deal. We're born again. We think we're good, but we can go blind if we don't moisturize our eyes. The Pharisees, I think a lot of them started off good, but they became blind over time. They lost their love for God, like how these Christians here in, in, the, in the church of Laodicea were losing their love for God. And Jesus is literally pleading with them, going, this is not going to go good for you on judgment day. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Trust me, you don't want to come up here lukewarm. So listen, come to me, and I will clothe you. Come to me, and I will make you really rich. Not fake rich, but real rich. And then I'll put solvent on your eyes, and your eyes will be able to see clearly. How many here want to keep the solvent on their eyes and see Jesus the way he is? Amen. Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus today. Come on, let's give it up for Jesus. You ain't too tired. Amen. Let's close out by singing an old song. Let's go out singing an old song. How many like these old hymns? Let's sing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. If I can get this computer to work for me here. I want to sing this with you. Do you know how to play it? If you don't, I will sing it. I will do it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. It would be nice if you would sing. Me, I once was lost. And I once was lost, but now 
whoa, <laughs> that, that just broke. <laughs> that just totally broke. Can we get a guy to come help her with this? Come up here and help her. I want her to sing this. Thank you, sir. I don't know how this thing just broke. There we go. Let's make it more awkward. Let's sing this again. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. I once was lost. But now I'm fine. I was blind, was blind. Why don't you stay up here and sing too? Come on. Come on, let's sing. Praise God. 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 Amen. Let's just close out in prayer. Altar workers, would you come? Let's get serious about leaving out here seeing today. Otherwise, we'll stay blind. Those who say, I already see, guard your heart today that you may always see. Father, we ask you to bless us today with your word. May it go deep into our hearts and change our lives. May we go out of this church seeing the world the way you see it. May we serve you with the truth that you've given us. May we not adopt the false traditions of this world but live for you. And God, even those of us who are new to this, kind of feeling like the blind man, I don't have it all together. I don't understand it all. May we at least have that man's testimony. I once was blind, but now I see. God, let that be the story that we tell. And as we go deeper, let us never forget it, where you've taken us from, what you've done in our lives, and what you can do. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Will you give it up for Jesus? Come on. I love you guys, and I love Jesus. Woo! Have a great week. Be safe. And if you want an after party with us, we got prayer workers to pray, and we're going to keep singing this for a little bit, right? Let's sing it together. God bless you. Have a great week. Come see us if you want prayer. Come on, let's keep singing that, and then we're going to sing more of the words. Gentlemen, put it up, please.
Let's keep singing. Let's do the next verse. Through many dangers, toils. Guys, put it up from the internet if you can't find it, please. I've already come, tis grace, tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. When we've been there 10,000 years, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the Let's take it from the beginning. Amazing grace. Amazing. 